We keep them down here. There are some simple rules which we insist you follow. Do not touch the glass. Do not approach the glass. You pass them nothing but soft paper. No pencils or pens. They have their own felt tip pens. No staples or paper clips in their paper. Use the sliding food carrier, no exceptions. If they attempt to pass you anything, do not accept it. Do you understand me? Yes. Above all else, never forget what they are. And what are they? Friendables! Two friends talking about Hannibal Lecter. Hello and welcome. Back again? Yes. Now, Jack Crawford, that naughty boy, has sent us two trainees from the FBI. We'd like to introduce them now. Mm-hmm. Friends of the show, co-hosts of Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, we have Kenzie and Donna. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. In this uh, episode, your friendables will now discuss the 2001 much-anticipated, much-disappointing... Am I going to venture that? I I was not disappointed. I was traumatized, but I was not disappointed. (laughs) Fair, fair. Uh, 2001 film Hannibal, uh, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, directed by Ridley Scott. Now, this is actually going to be a two-part episode. We're going to start our discussion here and then finish it up with Eris being a guest with us on Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Things. I don't know if I'll ask the question, did we like it? Maybe I'll ask the question, what are our first thoughts about the film? Yeah, trauma. Trauma. <laughs> you, you mentioned trauma several times. You mentioned trauma before we even started it, because yeah. you actually watched it twice this week. And it's been, if it hasn't been a full 20 years since I've watched it, mm-hmm. it's been close. It, it is a film that has dropped off my radar significantly after release. Yeah, so I had forgotten that we had a plan to watch it together. That had just slipped my mind. So um, yesterday or the day before, I went to look up where I could find it on streaming, and I found one image of the movie come up, and I went, oh. Can I cuss? Yes. Yeah. I went, oh, fuck me. Yep. I'm, 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 I'm so intrigued as, as to what that image might be. I have a guess. Was it Krendler? Oh, it was Krendler's okay. brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Krendler's brain. Full, full on Krendler brain. And you know, that's, I think the thing that I like about this storyline, because it does happen in the book too. We discussed it, mm-hmm. you know, early episode of the book. I was rooting for Krendler to die from the get-go. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that was yeah. it. That's my reward for finishing the book. That's my reward for finishing the movie. Which is like, when is this asshole gonna get et? And he got et, and I love it. <laughs> I mean, he didn't get et. He et himself. Yeah, yes. which is great. E- equally as good, in I my mean, opinion. I mean, OMG, <laughs> he et himself. <laughs> which is... A special. For- so we just hit one of Donna's personal like body horrors. I think I guess there's some visceral reactions. And happening. he enjoyed eating himself. He thought it was tasty. Sure. When you're on a lot of drugs, to be fair, it probably was. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I he, mean, there was capers yeah. and garlic and yeah. butter. Oh, I mean, Lecter was not kidding around. This was not McDonald's that McBrain. Makes, that yeah. makes snails taste good. So if if you're gonna do anything, do it right. You know, I, yeah. that's just capers and garlic. Yeah, and if you're gonna eat somebody, eat them correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the real lesson, right yeah. there from, from um, Hannibal. Don't yes. half-ass something. Whole ass one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Hannibal Lecter and Ron Swanson should meet at least once because I want to see that happen. I feel like they have, like yeah. somewhere yeah. there's some kind of passing. <laughs> there is a similar code of ethics between the two of them. Sort of chaos engine. <laughs> Uh, destruction is something that just happens. Get used to it, uh-huh. but don't be a dick about it. 
Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Kenzie, what are your first thoughts on the film? So I'm like you. It's been probably close to 20 years since I've seen it. Uh, I always remember it, but I'm also enough of a book nerd in a sense mm-hmm. that not that I think Hannibal the book could work being filmed. <laughs> I want to preface this. Yeah. But it has a lot of potential and it's also times a really hot mess. And mm-hmm. there's they're working with the best they can. Mm-hmm. With good people. Like so Yeah. Uh, there are there are some very beautiful things, beautiful slash horrible things in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the storyline, and not just the ending with Hannibal and Clarice, a lot of it is not not putting your foot on the gas. Mm-hmm. Like Verger's death is a very pedestrian death in this movie, yeah. whereas it is a startlingly horrifying death in the book. Yeah. See, and his death in the book was one I was rooting for. Right. Yeah. As that is going on, where this one, that's just house cleaning to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That yes. it's, the plot uh, needed to get rid of him because he couldn't deal with him anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. like, oh yeah, we've got him we got to deal with, and he's been an asshole to your boy Hannibal, so... Yeah, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a lot about this adaptation that is like, okay, with the material that they were working with, it, it's very streamlined and clean. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, I can see why they made those decisions. I'm like, did I regret not having Margot there? Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, this was a 500 page book that they're trying to turn into less than a two hour movie. Like, I get it. Sometimes things you've got to shuffle around. So, as the lone person at the table who has not read the book, mm. I was not disappointed by Verger's right. okay. Verger's death. I suddenly blanked on whether yeah. that was his actual name. In that, his his utter surprise and horror at Cordell's betrayal. I mean. And on this on the second view this morning, I was paying a little more attention to the way he was treating yes. Cordell. Mm-hmm. And keeping in mind that Cordell is a doctor, mm-hmm. and he's being sent off to sea to lunch. Yeah. And treated like an errand boy. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, yeah, he did not treat Cordell the way a personal physician should be treated. Mm-hmm. And especially when he sent to- cold cor- told Cordell to go down into the pit of pigs of deadly pigs yeah. to get a gun and shoot him you know yeah, yeah i was i was actually okay right with Roger's oh. death especially in that it was he brought it on himself he yes. had these pigs trained to kill helpless people and look suddenly we have another helpless person right let's kill this one it followed now yes. perhaps the book had a better right. more poetic yeah, but- death but the death i saw it, it worked for me. It was streamlined. It was just as deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I was looking at Cordell, too, going like, eh. <laughs> Like, yeah, Mason, they did a much better job showing how Mason is just... Mm-hmm. I, anyone who's on his payroll is not a person. Actually, no one is people to him. He's the mm-hmm. only person in the room that yeah. has consequences. Sometimes you just get... Sometimes your personal doctor just pushes you into a pen full of pigs. And, and he's crass about it. Like, yeah. Lecter probably views the vast majority of the human of humanity as not real humans. Mm-hmm. But there is an elegance and honor seems like the wrong word, but a sense of fair play. Yeah. I think we've gone... It Lecter, which doesn't exist. It didn't exist with Verger before his disfigurement right. or after his disfigurement. It was he was a 
creature of pure venality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, that brings me to a question. I mean, and mm-hmm. this is this will go for all three of you. Do you think Lecter's treatment of Verger, initially scarring him, disfiguring him, mm-hmm. was maybe to humble him and teach him some humanity to where, or is that just reading way too much into Lecter and it's just he it's, wasn't trying to teach him a lesson. It's too moralistic. Lecter doesn't teach lessons. Yeah. I, I, I would say it, it was more amusing to yeah. see a creature of that that vile starting to look as vile as he was in behavior. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and that's a pedophile, correct? Yes. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. He, was a, he was a pedophile and by... A sadistic pedophile. And it feels wrong to differentiate that, but it was a... It, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's... Yeah. Yeah. You're going to get a special warning on the Mason Verger episode of SVU as opposed to just a regular episode of SVU. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. To, yeah. By disfiguring him, they made it extra... They, I don't know why. By disfiguring Verger, Hannibal ruined his ability to right. charm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And and make himself seem innocent and mm-hmm. um, harmless. Right. To children. He has layers. I yeah. I think Hannibal was like you know part of it was you know like wouldn't it be funny if dogs ate your face? Uh, <laughs> you know and another part of it's just sort of like well you're not gonna convince babies to yeah. follow you home anymore if you don't have a fucking face. Well mm-hmm. you do ya? Let's just take that off. <laughs> and in the book he finds ways around it because he uh, yeah. he'll he'll have verger has verger yeah he creates uh, a a sort of the. Metaphor is not quite right, but sort of a Neverland ranch mm-hmm. at Verger's place to bring in at-risk youth to have, you know, a, a, a situation that might feel better for them. And then he takes sadistic pleasures in them. Not in the way that he would before, but just pure sadism. Like, he, he talks a kid into poisoning his pet because... Because otherwise the police are going to come come to his house and shoot the pet. Shoot the pet or take him away from his, uh, from his parents. Yeah. Oh, he's a real piece of shit. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, by by the way, the kid does not poison the pet. The kid poisons himself. Yeah. He would rather see himself die than to have his pet hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So. Piece of shit. (laughs) The book does its level best to to make Verger so vile and it has to to make Hannibal Lecter some kind of an anti-hero. Right. Whereas the movie feels like it's a half measure. But it was it was a me- enough. Yes, was enough. enough. Right. Yeah. When, the point. Cuz when Hannibal got caught, I was upset. Yes. I was well, sad yeah. that Hannibal got caught. Yeah, they're, they're like foils to each other. You get to see Mason like, "Yeah, okay, he's in the revenge, you know, he doesn't have a face anymore, but like he's still a piece of shit, even like stuck." You know, "Oh, I love his frat boy aesthetic." You know, mm-hmm. where he's like hanging out outside, he's got like the little like it's basically still rich has pop boy collars. Yeah. Pop <laughs> collars and he has like a little styrofoam cup cup that has like full juice box energy you know and he's just like chalking on the phone like well just kill him it's fine it's whatever i'm paying you <laughs> and, and then you have hannibal who's like at least when i kill people it's with fucking elegance <laughs> yep. not frat boy vibes and perhaps a sense of style there's yes, not much yeah. style to verger oh god no. i mean verger would ne- it would never occur to have to verger to have paul krendler eat his own brain no oh, no oh, no 
No, and and when when Hannibal did get some blood on himself when he mm-hmm. killed that one guy, mm-hmm. I mean, you could tell he was not happy about it. Yes. He was like, he was disgusted by it. He wiped it off, and he was unhappy that he had gotten some blood on him. Not because he's upon by perfect face, right? Not because he's squeamish about blood, but because it messed with the whole, you know. Yeah. Uh, who's the author I'm thinking of that he's dressing like in this whole movie? The guy who wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. Uh, oh. Capote. No, not uh, yes, Capote, but another guy. I know. I can. I. I can see the, the. If only I had access to some worldwide web of information that could tell me these things, I would be able. Chilton to... Chilton keeps cutting off our power. Yeah, I'm not even sure true. how we're recording this. The... <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi password here at the uh, Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane is Munchies. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, Tom Wolf. Tom Wolf. Yes, Tom Wolf has that sort of cream-colored suit and elegant hat. But yes, mm. Capote also would have had that. Yes. I forgot why we started talking about that. Because of his manner of dress. Yes. Yeah. His manner of dress, but I forgot what got me there. Yeah. Mason would not. Yes, have that sense of style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I looked him up. I see your I see your point exactly. Yeah. What are your first thoughts, Eris? I think we've started touching on first thoughts. Yeah, I, I actually did like the movie. Um, yeah, it's pretty streamlined. Knowing what I know from the book and from Thomas Harris's kind of feelings at this point on Hannibal, Dino De Laurentiis's feelings on Hannibal, it's not necessarily an end. I still feel like they're like, oh, haha, we could maybe get another sequel out of this. Woo! They have Clarice is utterly immutable in this one. Like, there's some temptation. She gets like a little like weird cannibalism puns right there when she's, uh, in the middle of the movie when she's still searching for Lecter and like she makes this like one comment to Krendler like oh I'm just sitting in the dark thinking about cannibalism like and uh cause you know and then I'm like I've you know seen the end of the movie so I'm like <laughs> alright <laughs> <laughs> so uh but yeah she pretty much stays the same throughout this movie she is still trying to bring him in she's still trying to like be the cop you, you can easily have her come back as a, in a sequel, give him like a little robot ham. Yeah, he, he won't. But at the time of filming, I'm sure the cameraman and cinematographers and all the staff were like, yeah, <laughs> we could come back and get another paycheck out of this. That's nearly a perfect time for us to go to our commercial break, which we'll go to thusly. It's time for Eris's Recipe Corner. <laughs> Put it in your mouth. Yum. Why did we start this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Eris, what kind of a recipe do you have for us this, this episode? This is my take on Irish Colcannon, which is probably not how you're supposed to pronounce it. Maybe. I think well, I got real close. For the most American Italian movie ever made, I think an Irish recipe is exactly where we need yeah. to be right now. Yeah, exactly. So keep yeah. going. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do a lot of Italian. I mean, I cook with noodles, and that's like as close as you can get, but you can't really call that, strictly speaking, Italian, just because it has noodles in it. Not in this movie, I can't. Do you use chopsticks to eat it? (laughs) Um, You know, half of my noodles I do, so yeah. Okay. Mm. The the true Italian way. That's the way Italians (laughs) do it, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, you're going to start with a heated up pan, a little bit of, I tend to use olive oil, so I don't know, maybe that's kind of Italian. (laughs) Anyway, you're going to need some type of uh, uh, lubrication, as you will, Uh, but you're going to go ahead and start with anywhere from 10 to 16 ounces of some type of like encased sausage like kielbasa pola sausage just pretty much like anything i like to get mine locally so you know doesn't matter what nationality they are especially if you make it at home um Siggies. 
Come to Tulsa and buy your sausage from Siggy's. Or whatever guy cut you off in the parking lot of the Aldi so that you followed home. You know, whichever. Use human meat at your own risk. <laughs> yeah, cook thoroughly. It does go weird. I'm sorry. We should have warned you that. <laughs> our, yeah. our, our guest did not expect this. <laughs> On a podcast about Hannibal? I, I expected You're visiting it. us in between. What did you think the plexiglass with the little holes cut out was yeah. for? <laughs> Anyway, chop that up into like little medallions. So you're going to drop that in the pan. Go ahead and um, get those started cooking. Now, if it's a pre-cooked sausage, obviously you don't need to give it a lot of time. But if you are cooking from scratch, then obviously you need to cook it all the way through. Add in a one yellow onion that has been roughly chopped. Um, Go ahead and let that start to get a little bit translucent with the sausage. When it's just about cooked, add in a half a head of roughly chopped green cabbage and cook that until just like when it starts to turn bright green. So it doesn't take very long at all, about a minute or two. Um, While this is happening, you probably should have already put the water and the potatoes on. You're gonna take about two pounds of gold potatoes, chopped half, quartered, bring that to a boil to let them to get to where they're cooked through. For serving, when they're done, drain the water, lightly smash up the potatoes, dress them with salt and pepper, and serve with your cabbage and onion and sausage, and serve it with a nice big pat of Irish butter and a whole bunch of black pepper. And that's my take on gold cannon. I think there's probably way more authentic ways to do it, but that's what I do whenever I have cabbage and I want to eat it <laughs> with, with human meat. <laughs> at your own risk. At your own risk. Someone rude. Someone clearly. Okay, at your own risk, but if you do, somebody rude. Right. Somebody right. who is asking. Hey, look, for it. it's a tough economy. We all got we all have to do what we have to do to cut costs and pennies. I get it. You know, sometimes you, you got to forge out in the, the urban wilderness of your own situation and get that guy who cut you off at the Aldi's. I'm looking at you, sir. <laughs> and I mean, there's no shortage of rude people, so... Exactly. But I just, I just want to say that the well-marbled people are going to have a better flavor, but the lean, the lean folk are, are healthier for you. Mm, that's true. Yeah, but different cuts of meat, you know, and different mm-hmm. depending on... Yeah, especially on dish. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I use a lot of ground beef, so, you know, you, you can do a lot of stuff with mm-hmm. that, yeah. And that was Everest's Recipe Corner. Remember, the brain feels no pain. We thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of Friendables. There are other fine podcasts at PartyApocalypse.com, including The Holodeck is Broken with Eris, myself, uh, Laura, and uh, Producer Z, who is still on vacation. We say vacation. They might be in a steamer trunk somewhere. We also have... Beyond the Cabin in the Woods with my, with myself, Kenzie, Donna, and Debbie. Uh, they air on Fridays that The Holodeck is Broken doesn't air, uh, but the same week that Friendables does. Everybody following so far our schedule? Good. There will be a graph at the end of the yeah, Absolutely, absolutely. There are other things at PartyApocalypse.com, including books, blogs, movie reviews, The Fourth Wall in its entirety, and As the Myth Turns in its entirety. Maybe other podcasts will follow, but aren't these enough? <laughs> Haven't I done enough? Eris, do you have anything to plug? No. Okay. <laughs> Kenzie, Donna, where can they find you? What would you like to say? Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Callista77, and it's all shenanigans and nonsense, so I don't know what you're going to get. Just, if you want to give me a follow, I'm cool with it. Currently, you can find me at Dragon Goblin. There's no I in Goblin. 
um, on Twitter and Instagram. My Twitter is mostly angry politics right now. And my Instagram. Why ever for Donna? I can't imagine what I would possibly be angry Sorry, about right can't now. Can't eat them fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, my stomach is only so big. You know, you gotta give me time. <laughs> and my Instagram is mostly um, self-righteous memes. <laughs> All right. I don't know if I'd say self-righteous, but I'd say more empowering. I would say. Thank you. I appreciate I would, that. I would say empowering. Okay. I, I I guess, you know what, I need to be more um, self-affirming. So thank you. Empowering memes. Self-confidence is very important. Yes. Mm-hmm. In podcasting and in murder. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going with that. If you've learned anything from Hannibal Lecter, have confidence in what you do. Yes. <laughs> so... I have another observation about this movie. Then let's wrap our commercial break and get right into that. Okay. Fantastic. Barney, open up the gate again. Donna, you have another thought? Should I have met Barney? Unless we're imagining Barney. I really Which is possible. Yeah. You didn't meet Barney? I didn't meet Barney. He's a delight. Okay, maybe I'll meet him on the way up. Okay, maybe. Okay, yes. I'm looking forward to it. You have another thought about this movie? Yeah, something that interested me on my, on my, well, it wasn't my first viewing because I watched it, you know, 20 years ago. But my first viewing last night was I was pretty annoyed about the aggressive male gaze. And then on my viewing today, I suddenly realized that it was not actually an aggressive male gaze. It was a Paul Crindler's an asshole gaze mm-hmm. yeah most of the time most of the time and and that i think is one of the more unsettling things i think for this movie versus silence of the lambs the movie because lector is you know obviously there's a connection between him and starling but in silence of the lambs it's never a prurient mm-hmm. sort yeah. of connection but here i think he's just as attracted to her as everyone else is. Yeah. And I think that makes him a little more pedestrian. A little bit. I, yeah. I was a little... Not, with that dress he put her in, right. I was like, dude. Yeah, and then he comments on it, like, love the dress. Like, oh, like you didn't put it on her naked body. Didn't buy it and change her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, it, if, the, if the neckline had been above the nipples, I think I would have been okay. Yeah. With the dress, but... Um, well, yes, well, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, yes, yeah, in, yeah, in a, yeah. in a changing were... sort of situation. Yeah. It's, it's not a ba- he's not wrong, it right. is a good dress. It is a right. fantastic yeah. dress. Yeah. If you put it on your own self, consciously. Right. <laughs> but, like, every time she moved, we were getting copious underboob, and there yeah. had to have been some super glue holding that oh, thing God. in place. Absolutely. So it wasn't just gaping, man, that mm-hmm. dress. A that ton of surgical tape. tape. Yeah, working overtime. Do you so. think he used surgical tape, or does he think? Do you think Hannibal Lecter just comes prepared with like fabric tape? I think. I think <laughs> just like Jane Gunwood, but not. But see, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh man, that's gonna be like, this gonna be hard to peel off. Knowing what we know of Lecter, I think he purposely bought double sided dress tape. Like, I think he he bought her shoes. The yeah. man bought her shoes. Yeah. Took time to style her hair. He's not gonna miss. He's not gonna scrimp on the boob tape. That's true. I don't think he would have wanted Paul to see the boobs. So no. I think he would have put the tape okay. on there. Yeah. yeah. I'm just Paul, like, did, Paul hasn't earned those boobs. But, <laughs> but nor will he ever know. Yeah. But he is, uh, that means 
This is going to be a crass statement. I apologize ahead of time. That means Lecter played with her boobs without her consent. And that's not right. Yeah. That's beneath him. It yes, is. yeah. Also, they, they really, in this movie, they, there was a there was a big romantic angle. Like, mm-hmm. very from the get-go. Because they kept talking about, um, like, even the very beginning scene where they're interviewing Barney, they're like, do you think he was interested in, you know, like, what did you talk about? We talked about her. So they're kind of, like, starting to pepper that in. I guess as a way to get us to be okay with his motivations towards mm-hmm. her at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I, not not okay with it. I'm just sort of like, if I remember from I the book, doesn't he kind of leave the dress for her? And but granted, she's in a drugged state and says, you know, if you like the dress, put it on. He's very I polite about. I think that that's. I mean, it's been a couple of months since I read it. It's been a couple of years yeah. since you read it. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks since you read it. Yeah. If her clothing was, like, damaged from the fight and she was still in it, or if she was in some kind of hospital gown that he had taken when he was pilfering through the hospital, mm-hmm. he left the dress with a note like, Clarice, yeah. if, if it pleases you, the garment is for your use. Join me downstairs when you're feeling up to it, H. Yeah. Right. And that would right. fix the problem. Granted, it adds... 45 seconds onto a movie that feels like it's a little chunky around the edges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's the middle's chunky. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like I, I always feel with this film, the stuff in Italy is the weakest. I know you mm-hmm. need it, but to me, it drags it down. Mm-hmm. When you're not having Oldman, Moore, or Hopkins on the screen, eh. It's a whole yeah. other movie that goes nowhere. With Patsy, exactly. like... The whole time running headlong into a face plant, and then there he goes. Yeah. yeah. Right. I forget the entire Italy part of the movie for exists. Right, because it's, it's like a separate movie. Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. whole, the motivations, the character arcs, everything about that is completely separate and can be easily lifted and plucked out of what the main film is, at least in this one, mm-hmm. has this feeling of like... Clarice as she approaches the darkness but remains true to herself to try to still do her job and you know that whole thing and then Hannibal gets to be weirdly obsessed with her and then escape the pigs and all that kind of stuff. That whole Italy part uh, is completely removed. I think the Italy part is important only in the book because honestly the Italy part was really more about how Clarice gets tempted into Hannibal's lifestyle really. That's true. Yeah, so there's the a lot of that, her investigating his taste, and and that's where yeah. she starts. That's where you start to lay the where Harris lays the groundwork of like this is why she chooses to go with him. But like in this movie, she doesn't choose to go with him. So why have the Italy part at all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we haven't even really talked about the big change in the ending yet. Yeah, in the book, Lecter and Clarice end up together. They they yeah. run off and they are lovers. Absolutely. And right. Donna's that's, giving me a lot of points right here. That yeah. is about the vibe everyone has. Most yeah. notably Jodie Foster. Yeah, because Jodie Foster was like, get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah, I'm like, no, thank you. You can cast my knockoff to do that yeah. if you want. I'm outie. This is the kind of shit that causes people to shoot the president. And I know from where I speak. I with a speak. copy of Catcher in the Rye in their pocket. Yep. Yep. So, you know, in some ways the movie's actually great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he gave me shoes. And a dress, so why wouldn't I go with him? And, and and he's nice to me, nicer than any of the FBI agents who are closest to me, or my dead father who abandoned me by dying. Yeah, that one's, that's a little hard to parse, Clarice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I did write down early on, wow, she's surrounded by creepy jerks. Yeah. <laughs> one of the disservices with this film, comparing it to Silence of the Lambs, it's a 
subtler hand mm, with sure. the sexism. This one is beating you over the fucking head with it. Yeah. Where it's a, you get it, but it's not yeah. telegraphed right. yeah. every moment. Yeah, well, and that's I think that's the difference between like Ridley Scott and Jonathan Demme is that Ridley Scott, in some cases, very brilliantly, like Alien, for lack of another example, is very much, here it is, here it is, I'm showing you what it is. Whereas Demi works in glances and reactions. A lot of his shots are first person, you see the person staring at you. And so mm-hmm. it's a perfect movie about male gaze because even as a man, I'm sitting there watching the movie and all the men are looking directly at me with a male gaze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Not to mention just like that beginning scene. Sorry, this is about silence, but like but, that beginning scene where Jodie Foster's clear Starling walks into the elevator and she is a like a good thirteen to sixteen inches shorter than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And all the dudes just look down on her and she's just like, Yep. <laughs> she's just I'm riding this elevator with six other dudes who could all sit on me and kill me. Okay. You know, that's totally off topic, but Natalie Portman recently was talking about in her part in Thor, mm. Natalie Portman is a is a petite woman, yeah. and she was talking about how normally, even as a big star, she can walk into a room and be unnoticed. Yeah, and she's very capable of walking into a room and being unnoticed. As her part in Thor, not only was she bulked up, but she was often wearing boots that made her six feet tall, and she suddenly could walk into a room. And people were looking at her because she was towering over a good part of the room. And that yeah. was such an unusual experience for her. Mm-hmm. Kind of relevant to that experience that, you know, for a lot of especially shorter women, that that experience of being constantly looked down on is... Mm-hmm. Um, short and yeah. slight of frame. I think everyone, yeah. both Clarices are not only short, but very waifish, for lack of yeah. a better term, in yes. their build. And I think, because you mentioned Natalie Portman, like, oh, God, Natalie Portman wouldn't be terrible casting for Clarice Starling in some other production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's slight when she's not Thor. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Right. Clarice is just, she's a really good example of kind of the the way women were treated in about that time, Mm -hmm. where, you know, she is the epitome of what you want an FBI agent to be. But... Because she's a woman, she's not taken seriously, and that opening scene is perfect for that. You know that mm-hmm. that John John Bolton was his yeah. name, right? That John Bolton was mm-hmm. just like, yeah. "No, I'm in charge." And when she's like, "No, you're not. Can I continue?" His right. response is, "You've got a smart mouth." Would he ever have said that to him? You know, if if right. it had been a male agent going, "No, I'm in charge," would he have said, "You've got a smart mouth"? Mm-hmm. No, right. there, there might have been some chest puffing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he wouldn't have said anything like, you've got a smart mouth. And so that was... Yeah. Uh, I think Clarice is also a perfect example of women in general, how anything we do professionally, we have to be perfect. Like, you cannot have missteps. Yeah. And I think Clarice is a really good example of that scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, and very much that sort of 90s example of a capable professional woman that... You know, there's this misconception in the 90s that, oh, you know, women's liberation has gone so far. Women are respected in in the workplace. And when that was obviously not the case, I think once the fullness of the Clinton era was fully scrutinized, that was clear Mm -hmm. that, I mean, we still now have a long way to go, but we preposterously had a long way to Mm -hmm. go 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Especially the beginning scene. Yeah. Like there, 
Clarice did everything she possibly could. She, you know, the, and it was, I mean, it was very clear if somebody had, I don't know, if this was like a movie and they could just go back and rewatch the scene, they'd be like, well, it's clearly that guy's fault, you know, mm-hmm. but obviously in a, in a police shootout, you know, you don't necessarily get that. It's kind of like, wow, maybe y'all should have had body cams. You would have heard her say, we need to cancel this guy. She's got a baby. Like, but I wonder if her friend hadn't have died and if she had had a male voice to say no. She right. told everyone to stand down, and that other dude refused if she had a male voice standing up for her. It would have made a difference. Yeah. Or yeah, Jack because, Crawford was still around. Right. Right. Yeah, right. I think I think if Crawford was still around, because I know, sorry not to be in the book, but in here the Here we book, can be in the book. Okay. Yeah. Really Let's get all the book stuff out here. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I know in the book, that was the thing. A lot of, a lot of the bullshit, Crawford shielded her, and it mm-hmm. wasn't until... He's out of the picture, which, what is it, about halfway through Hannibal, where he's... Dead. He's, yeah. 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 Where he is out of the picture, and so it's raining down on her. Yeah. And it is, like you said, though. That would probably also account for the decision to leave and go. Oh, yeah. With somebody who cares about her. Yeah. Uh Which is still bullshit, but... It it, it would be bullshit as an ending to this movie and a sequel to Silence of the Lambs, the movie, because Clarice Starling is a great altruistic hero even mm-hmm. you know she has flaws and dimensions and everything but you would never dream that starling as played by jodie foster would do such a thing yeah and neither did jodie foster she was like i i will make as i think i said on a previous episode i will make a movie where mel gibson talks to a beaver puppet before i do this and then she did <laughs> <laughs> i have one one last question mm. How did she get her hair out of the refrigerator, and how did she get her wrist out of the cuff? <laughs> I think that's such an excellent thought to end on, and maybe what we'll pick up with uh, later this week. You can find Beyond the Cabin in the Woods episode <laughs> about uh, where we will continue our conversation about Hannibal. Excellent question. Mm-hmm. Next time, Friendables will move on to Hannibal Rising, the yes. novel, yes, which we already recorded. So time is a flat circle. You know if. Lecter wishes hard enough, entropy will reverse itself, mm-hmm. and Clarice Starling will become his kid sister again. Mm. Which is what happened in the book. <laughs> the book is wild. <laughs> so join us then for that. And in the meantime, oh no, 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 Migs, put it down. Put it down. Oh God. Okay, bye. <laughs>